Because what did you want to say, Gerardo? Something profound. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, oh, sorry. One of the best bits of advice I've ever received was to find good mentors and to learn from them. Trusted people who have already done what you're trying to do now. I've been fortunate throughout my career to have some fantastic mentors to help guide me, but I realized that they'd be hard to find and also hard to commit the time to one. This is why we've gathered some of the best minds from the veterinary world and squeezed them for their wisdom so that you don't have to learn the hard way. With the help of our guests, we flip the veterinary profession on its back and explore its soft underbelly to find the tips, tools and inspiration that you'll need to build the career that you've always wanted. I'm Gerardo Poli. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is The Vet Vault. Welcome everyone. Before we start, don't forget to send us your questions that you would like us to answer. So what burning issues do you have that you'd like us to discuss with our guests? Contact us through our Instagram account, The Vet Vault, or send us an email at vetvaultpodcast at gmail.com. Our guest today, Helga Kalsall, the traveling vet, is best known for her inspirational Instagram account where she shares her veterinary journey and her real life traveling journeys. When Helga is not the traveling vet, she is an equine vet in Germany. And when she is traveling, she uses her skills, influence, and the money that she generates through her social media followers to improve animal welfare wherever she can. Check out her incredible adventures and the impact that she's had at her Instagram account, traveling underscore vet, or on her blog, travelingvet.blog. On her blog, Helga describes herself as a dreamer, a fighter, and an asshole. In this interview, Helga tells us about her journey so far, how she made her career choices, how she built up her confidence as a young vet, about the time she wanted to quit veterinary science, and how she became the traveling vet. We talk about some of her amazing traveling experiences, her views on money, narcissism in social media, and how she uses her public profile to do good. Dreamer and fighter, for sure, but not a trace of a-hole. Please enjoy Helga Kausel, the traveling vet. We're talking to Helga Kausel, better known as the traveling vet. Welcome to the vet vault. Thank you. Hello. Thank you, and thank you for making the time to have a chat to us as usual Hubert was late and didn't have his stuff sorted so it was really good talking to you while Hubert wasn't available and we learned I shared all the bad things about Hubert including his nickname which I'll say right now and I bet you it'll be blank on the recording <laughs> um, yes that will be, that'll be blanked out thank you very much Gerardo you well I was going to say you don't learn but somebody pointed out to me the other day that in one of the early episodes you said it and I missed it and I didn't blank it out. <laughs> so it is out there somewhere <laughs> on one of the episodes. <laughs> okay, you are currently in, in Malta, is that correct? Yes, I'm in Malta. Why? One more week. Because my husband works here for one year. Oh, okay. For the oh. Philharmonics, Malta Philharmonics Orchestra. 
Ah, yes, he's a he's a violinist. Is that right? Yes, exactly. Cool. So, so you you're not working in Malta. You're just going there and back and spending time with him. Yes, exactly. So the thing was that I couldn't follow him if I was still working, mm-hmm. and the plan was uh, for me to get pregnant. And we had like one month before he left, and it happened. Yes. <laughs> like I yes. I yes. saw. Congratulations. <laughs> Um, yeah and so yeah thank you and since you are not allowed to work in germany when you're pregnant now i can visit him whenever i want not allowed to work at all no as a vet no as just as as a vet as As a a vet vet. so you'd get your salary from who from the government or from your employer um from the government yeah wow that is nice my um yeah. My, my wife <laughs> my wife worked uh, with our firstborn. My wife worked. The plan was that she's going to stop a month before giving birth. And then the baby came about a month early. So she stopped working. <laughs> she stopped working on Friday and she had the baby on Monday. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we were not quite ready. It's all like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that happened to a friend of mine. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's really nice. First and most important question is, is there, is there any surf in Malta? Sometimes, little, li- really little waves, uh, more of windsurfing, but not a lot of surfing, sadly. I didn't even bring my board. There's something, there's something inherently wrong about an island that has no surf. Yeah. Or doesn't surf. <laughs> yes. Exactly. They just don't have the right beaches or I don't know. It's very, mm. very poor waves. I mean, I saw them with long boards and small waves, but it's like mm, no that, fun. Not, it's not just white water. Yeah, and and when, when you are when you're not traveling, you you're a, a horse vet back in Germany. Is that right? You do horse, horse in, work. Yeah, in Germany for a, for a practice or your own business or, or what? No, for a practice. We are nine vets. Okay. Well, and we're all practice. mobile. Yeah, okay. kind of. We have like seven cars. And we are mobile the whole day, so we don't have a clinic. We just work outside. Just a little station, like a little bit at home. A lot of reproduction and some small surgeries, but the, most of it is mobile. Which is really cold in winter because we get to minus 20. Oh, <laughs> and then yeah like everything freezes your medications freezes your jelly freezes everything it's sometimes really a pain in the ass jelly freezes <laughs> you can't do a rectal like you have to wait until you have hot water and can warm it up uh, so the, the warmest place is going to be with your hand inside the hose <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> You're very excited about the mornings, yeah. <laughs> so when did you when did you graduate? Two thousand fifteen. Two thousand fifteen, and yeah. so just just going back because um, this might be interesting for some of our listeners, right? Especially new grads and things who were thinking equine work was equine the thing that you wanted to do. Yeah. So in Vienna, you have to specialize the last one and a half years. Uh-huh. and so you like finish after four and a half years and then you have to specialize depending on your grades like on if you can do what you want to do the hardest is to get into equine 
And so if you're good enough, you can do equine and then you just have equine until you finish. Wow. Oh, wow. So you, so you knew, you knew back then, how did you know? Because like the common question is, is <laughs> um, like, I, I went through vet school wanting to, to do smallies. I thought I liked horses, almost got killed three times. So, you know, respect horses, but never going to touch one ever again. Um, maybe I might ride one, one day. Um, <laughs> but for um, us, a small horse, like a little miniature horse. Small horse, yeah, like a miniature horse. Maybe a rocking horse when I'm 80 and I don't know anything. But, um, but the, the the thing for me was that it was like it was small animal practice and cattle because I loved cattle. But um, you know, like, how did you know that you wanted to do horses? Did you grow up with horses? Did you? you know, yeah. Just... So I was riding before I was walking. So I grew up with horses. Um, we always had horses. But when I applied for vet school, I think I chose smallies. Because I only, like when I was a student, I always worked in small animal clinics. And there was no horse vet around. I really was working with. And then at the end of my vet school I before the specialization, I I worked a lot in um, in small animal clinics to get money, mm-hmm. and it it was no fun. Like I had no fun at all. And then I was thinking about quitting at all, like quitting the whole career because I was so disappointed. And then I came back to vet school and walked into the horse clinic, and that was it. I was like, okay, I want to work with her horses. That's just the thing that makes me happy. It changed during vet school. And I always wanted to work in a clinic. And then I didn't get an internship. And Toby wanted to go to Germany. So I applied in Germany in clinics. And then I didn't get one job, but they offered me another one. Like they they kind of played headhunter and sent my application around and then my boss sent me an email when I was in Costa Rica if I wanted to work for him in a mobile practice and I was like oh I don't know that's not really what I want and now I love it like I never want to go back into a clinic. So just clarify something there so because a lot of people come out with a, an idea of where they want to go and whatever. Actually, some people don't, right? Some people do. And you were, you know, do you, was working in any equine practice with nine vets, right? Was that something that you wanted as part of just caseload and mentorship and things? Was that a, a, like a criteria as part of your selection or was it just um, something that happened and you were very grateful for it? Like, I think the mentorship thing was the reason why I always wanted to go into a clinic because in a clinic you really there's always someone around you and in the mobile practice like after three weeks I was sent out alone and I was alone the whole day and I could call them for help but yeah it's totally different if you're out alone or if you're in a clinic where you can just like someone standing beside you and helps you. So at that stage, how, how long had you been qualified for? Like I graduated in summer and I started my job in October and I was traveling in the meantime. And then after three, worked, uh, three weeks, I worked three weeks. on my own. Wow. 
Yeah, that that is wow. really, that's a bit intimidating. I mean, and it, at the beginning you do easy stuff, and yeah. then, yeah, like everywhere. I had my first. Do you say hard birth, or like if you have to help a horse birthing? How do you call yeah. it? Dystocia or something like that. Yeah, I had this like I think after one month or one and a half month, and my boss just came in like came to me and said oh we have this case so you go there and do this and i was like okay i've seen a birth like once a normal birth and then he just <laughs> sent me there and i was like and he was like are you afraid and i was like yes and he was like yeah okay you you're fine you'll be okay call me <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> it was so bad and it went well obviously It went well. It was a miniature pony. Um, so, and I came there and I, I think I called my boss five times. And, and then I was like, okay, he can't help me anyway. So after one hour, I got it out. It was a, a dead birth, but the, we could save the mare. And after this, I found out that 50% of these miniature ponies, you can't help them. They have to go to a clinic or you have to put them down. So I was really lucky. I didn't know that before I started. Because <laughs> yeah. so, wow. for me, there was no, there is, it's, it had to work. There yeah. was no other way. Yeah, yeah. So I had to get it out and I did. And I was very lucky. Wow. <laughs> Skilled, wow. not not lucky. You were skilled. You're very skilled. Uh, have you got? Yeah, very, I, have you got small hands? <laughs> yeah, you can just use one hand with this <laughs> mini ponies, uh, um, and it was lying down and standing up and everything. I was lying on the ground and standing up and everything, and on my knees. And then um, I always remembered vet school, and in the horse specialization, we learned this with pu uh, like puppets. Mm -hmm. So I always remembered what she like showed us with these puppets and how do you move it and yeah, I'm very thankful for this professor. <laughs> well done with puppets. <laughs> yeah. Puppets. Like like, this... all, all I can think of is like Sesame Street and Kermit the Frog and stuff. What? Like... Yeah, like Kermit the Frog. Yeah, we did it with this, yeah, like with a horse puppet, and then she was doing it like this. And how do you get it out from the horse when it's like this? Just for it's just obviously nobody can see what you're doing, but Helga looks like she's <laughs> like she's rapping. Do that again. Like she's doing, yeah. <laughs> <she's> dancing. <laughs> like when I have the leg like this it. and this, and then you have yeah, to do like this. Video, video. <laughs> I'm gonna video now. Yeah. You, and that was this is Helga's first photo <laughs> show. The live yeah. Helga show. Um, Helga, yeah. I, I want to go back a little bit. Um, to your to your stint in, in small animals why why didn't you like it what what was it about it that that you liked so much um i think maybe it was the clinic where i worked well i was just cleaning and getting um not nice comments from my vets yeah. and i don't know it hmm, it's just i really love horses okay and i love my dogs and cats but they're different Yeah, it's just no, no. I was just curious whether there was a particular thing that you that you didn't like, or just just the just didn't like the job. Mm, I think horses are kind of easier. They are no, they're, they're not. not 
<laughs> Obviously, no. we're looking at you and I's face then when, when you yeah. just said that. Both of us would like. Because, <laughs> <laughs> no, like, especially with the owners, like the dogs are really sad when the owner is not here and they're like totally different reacting to a vet than a horse is. And for me, it's much easier to read a horse and to see how a horse is doing. Like with dogs, they're always so super sad. <laughs> horses are a little bit more easy okay i think we're gonna to have to agree to disagree on this one <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i kind of agree with you, you know, having three knee-death experiences with horses like horses are not easy for me but i get it though i get it. like if you grow up with them right, you can read them like i had yeah I had, I had people in my pack group who grew up with horses and they're like try to it's about to kick you and like how do you know boosh kick you know like <laughs> yes exactly yeah that's just growing up with them you you move and then you're like why did i move and then you see yeah, the horse is moving too so yeah it's incredible i love that i love that about life but but definitely you see it in work as well where you start knowing stuff and you, you go i don't i don't know how i know that so even yeah. even even diagnostically or or exactly stuff like that. What you talk about horses, but for for me, when you get a dog walk in, and I know immediately he's gonna try and he's gonna try and bite <laughs> me or something like that. Um, yeah. No, I, I I love that subconscious learning that happens all the time, and a few years later, something walks through the door, and you go, Yeah, I know what's wrong with it. The yeah, it's a dangerous game, I know, because that's how you stuff up as well. But it's. It's it's a, it's nice to nice nice when when that starts happening. Yeah, you, true. You highlighted a good thing there though, which is quite um, common for a lot of graduates, right? They they go into a job, and the environment is not really supportive, conducive, positive, and so forth. And you know, I suppose you know you're brave enough to go. This isn't right. This is not for me, and and leave and make a decision on that. But some people really kind of assist on for a long time like and 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 it really taints their career like you decided to change and you made a change right and now you work in the as you know as an as an equine vet and it sounds like as if you really enjoy it you know you could have actually really made the opposite decision which is like you know actually vet career isn't for me because mm. if this is what it's going to be like you could have globalized that problem right that that experience to everything yeah so yeah, you know, it's a very brave decision. Good on you. Yeah, I think it was taken from me because I didn't get the internships. And yeah, I was lucky. When I was young, I like my big idol is Jane Goodall. Mm -hmm. And when I was young, I always imagined myself being in Africa, helping animals and everything. And I always thought that maybe I would do wildlife animals, uh, wildlife medicine. Um, but then, yeah, just happened that equine medicine is the thing that makes me happy. Mm. Which is a very nice segue into the into the traveling, the traveling stuff. <laughs> yeah. Gerardo, you look like you had another question. Sorry, did I? Uh, yeah. Thunder there. The segue into the traveling stuff. Just one or two more questions after around actually how did you handle and 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 cope with i suppose being by yourself out on the road you know and tackling cases like that you know <laughs> you know that, that you know, 
um, like at the beginning when I started working. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I know that the first six months in my job, I was nervous until 10 p.m. in the evening. <laughs> I was <laughs> just because um, the thing, the first two and a half years, I we didn't have shifts. So we were working from Monday 8 a.m. until Friday 10 p.m. in a row, always on call. Always on call, every night. Yeah. <laughs> like we had one day a week off, but mostly it didn't work out. So you were still working and didn't, yeah. And then we had like weekend shift every two and a half weeks. So sometimes you work from Monday till next Friday, 10 p.m. in a row, always on call. Lucky thing is that like in winter, you don't really have a lot of emergencies at night. Okay. Like you have it at like 8, 10, between 8 and 10 p.m. But after this, they don't call anymore because they just don't hear the horses mm-hmm. if something is wrong. Like mm-hmm. with a dog, you always notice it at mm-hmm. night when something's wrong. Mm-hmm with the uh, horses um but in season um you get calls like at 3 a.m at night so i was always nervous until 10 p.m and after 10 p.m i was like okay i think it's not very common that someone will call me now and i was super afraid of colleagues because i wasn't the best in rectal and no one can help you like you can call you can call someone and tell them the heart rate was this, the temperature is this, but you can't really describe. I mean, you can try to describe, but if you don't feel it, you just you're helpless, alone out there trying to um, do a rectal exam and find out what's wrong. Which I learned super fast is the rectal is not the most important thing. It's some it's a big part of the examination, but there are a lot of things that are more important than the rectal. And then on my first weekend shift after, I think after a month or five weeks, I had my first weekend shift where we are just two vets on the whole weekend. And I had seven colleagues on one day. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'm fine. I can do every colleague. <laughs> yes. So that helped a lot. And... Oof. Yeah, I was going to say baptism by fire. There's one way to learn. It's just jump in the deep end and swim or you drown. Yeah. And the good thing is I have really one of the best um, employees you can imagine. Like my boss, Mm -hmm. you call him. Um, And I could always call him with the most stupid question. I could call him and ask him like, 20 times a day Mm. and he would answer and tell me again and again what to do or how to help me that that's yeah that that's important yeah Mm -hmm. like this is really fascinating because i don't mean to say that your you know your story is like you know fascinating from a scientific point of view but it's you know like it's a very different story from what we often hear around people's experience with you know like i don't know like the unknown and 
like how did they push through that you know you you pushed through that was it because you constantly kind of knew that 10 o'clock would come and after 10 o'clock okay <laughs> is, is it that end point that light at the end of the tunnel six days a week or or was it just the fact that you loved horses and you know you pushed through that um the thing was that like at the first year of working i didn't feel like working it was like i'm doing it adventure and adventure okay. every day it was like i there's so many adventures and i get paid for it <laughs> it really didn't feel like working it was just like wow today i did this and i learned this and it was super exciting and of course i was super afraid but at the same point it was not feeling like work it sounds like that was it like like because it's reframing the the scared into exciting right and yeah and I can see how they can push something through. Like that's how I got through the first you know, two years of emergency. It was, it was scary. And some of the, you know, Alex, I mean, she would never say this, but don't tell anyone I said this. <laughs> we'll keep it just between the three of us. <laughs> three of us. Okay. Everyone else will close your ears. <laughs> first emergency, we used to actually like vomit before starting a shift. It was that stressful. Oh. Yeah. And I have like cold sweats driving to work because of the unknown. But like, like when I reflect upon what you said, it's, it's the, you know, the fact that it was exciting for you actually kind of kept you going. Yeah. And what was really helpful was that like Toby wasn't here. So what really stressed me out that, um, like when Toby visited me, I, I was stressed the whole day to come home and then I was afraid someone would call and I would have to leave again. And because I was alone in Germany, I, I was working and sleeping. So there was nothing that, like no um, personal life that stressed me out. Mm. That's a very interesting observation. Because mm. it, it is, it does actually... I've never actually realized that, but you just, you just said something that I've never realized about myself, that a lot of my work stress is actually stress about, well, I wouldn't say stress, but it's worrying about disappointing the family or, you know, letting down the, I don't mind the work. I don't mind going out to work in the middle of the night, but I don't like it when the kids are sad because I'm not doing stories with them or something like that. So that, that's actually very good. Hmm. I don't, I don't know what to make of that. I'll have to think about that. <laughs> well, it's, it's the key to why I continue doing emergency, right? It's because the, I have no expect, no one has expectations of, of me mm. to do something other than weekends are emergency shifts. Yeah. So, you know, I don't feel like as if I have the pressure to, apart from fatigue management now, I used to do 20 hour shifts, if not longer. Yeah. Now we have to get up 14 hours, right? And when you have a difficult pace, you want to stay there and help. Right. So now it's, there's another issue, which is like just making sure you get out at a time where it's safe to drive home. Yeah. But, but prior to that, for, for years, it was just like, there was no ever expectation of me to actually fulfill some other kind of external um, expectation, you know? And I can see, you know, like the combination of one that you, I don't, okay, this is me reflecting on what you said, but like one, you, 
reframing the experience and the stress that you're going through into excitement and learning, right? It's like an adventure. Holy shit, if every, every shift was an adventure, then yeah, why wouldn't you take that adventure, right? The second thing is you had a boss who you could call. You never felt like as if you were judged or whatever it may be. Like any time they were there, there was an end point to your adventure, right? No matter how stressful it was, 10 o'clock was your end point. Mm. And third, it was just like, you know, your environment, like your social situation was enabled you to you know, have no other expectations apart from whatever you wanted to do. Uh, yeah, you could be uh, selfish. You, you could be selfish, be selfish with your... <laughs> um, okay, I wouldn't say that that's an awesome thing to do for everyone else. <laughs> like, yeah, know. it's also very stressful to have a, a distance relationship. Very stressful. Oh, stressful. I've done that, that's stressful. <laughs> and also when we saw it, like when I came home for the weekend, I was like, I was so done. I was just sleeping and I was still stressed. And Toby would just call me working Helga. <laughs> so like I got this new character. Yeah. So what's the solution? How did you, <laughs> did, did, did the work situation change? Did you work less or how It how changed. It changed last year, like almost one and a half years ago, we, we started shifts. Mm -hmm. So now we like work from eight to 4 PM. If we have morning shift or late shift is kind of sucks because you just have four hours off. You have off from 8 AM to noon. Yeah. And then you have a late shift and then you work from noon till 8 AM the next morning. And it changes every week. Okay. Uh, which stressed me out a lot because when we changed that, um, I was like, yeah, oh my God, I'm just working like eight to 10 hours a day. And still I couldn't motivate myself to do sport or to write on my book that I'm writing or do something. I would just still come home and relax and... Um, that really uh, was depressive for me. Like I had like two months where I didn't know why until I realized that I'm so unhappy with myself because I was just working eight to 10 hours and still when I came home, I didn't do anything. Yeah, but that's pretty normal. I'd say eight to 10 hours <laughs> is a normal work day for most Yeah, <laughs> but like before I, I worked like at least 12 hours a day 12 to 14 hours like every day and then i didn't and still like didn't do anything else so, so that was, was, what was it then that 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 changed was it you know what changed what what what, where did, where did, what point did you get to where it was like you know i gotta do something uh when i stopped being depressive you mean yes how did you fix yes, it? Yes, right. Or have you fixed um, it? Like I was, it was really bad. I was really depressive. And then I called a friend, um, super depressed. Like I was crying in my car on the way to a patient. And then I called this friend and I lost uh, connection. And then he called me back um, if everything's all right. And he was so afraid that something would have happened to me. And this really got me out. I was like, okay, come on. Everyone has a hard job and it's not that bad. And from this moment on, it got better. So the, 
What kind of flick of the switch? What switched? The, Something. This, um, I don't know. This being so unhappy with my with my lifestyle, and with what I'm doing. This switch. So, so you, okay. So, your thought was sorry. I'm just trying to get this clear because this is really cool. I'm sorry that I said that to you. But it's really important. Like the, the reason why we're going on about this and keep on asking, Jubin wants to talk about the countries you visited, which is cool. And I no, no, this is better. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so a flick switched in your head, which was that you thought that things weren't so good, but then you, re someone triggered you to reflect upon where you were at and actually realize that actually it's not as bad as what you thought it was. Is that what it was? That's me kind of, you know, Thinking back yes, and also that he was also having a hard time and he was also having a hard time with his job and social life. And then I was like, okay, um, a little bit more like this. You're not alone. Yeah. Ah, yeah, yeah. Like I... She wants to say something, but I'm just going to... No, no, not at all. I, I, I'm also I'm loving this. It's very important. So the situation didn't change. So you had that... You were depressed. No. You didn't change jobs. You didn't change situation, but your your mindset changed. The way you thought yes, about it changed. Yes, exactly, exactly. Okay. Like, I for, for me, um, like I, you know, there's a lot of things I do, and you know, sometimes it becomes overwhelming for sure. And one of the things that I've always grew up when I was a child, um, my family had like a where we where we moved my my family home, right. My childhood home was on a hill and we used to overlook like a little valley and there we could, I could see kind of people walking and cars moving and stuff. And I really sort of grew to love that kind of view. And, and I never really connected with it in a way that I do now where I look out now and I'm fortunate enough to, to have been able to afford a house, which has a nice view and the, and what I see there is, is parts of the city and things. And what that makes me realize most days is that there are like a million people out there with big issues. Some people are dying. Some people are losing family members. Like some people, I don't know, going through financial hardships, having to sell houses and things. And it is that reality check every day, which kind of puts me back into like, you know, what am I going to do about it? you know is it really that bad like is that kind of what yeah. that was for you with your friend yes yeah i think that was it like if you're in a depression i was in a depression 2014 um in a bad one i was also sick and didn't know like i have hashimoto i don't know if you know it it's this duridea uh -huh. sickness uh yeah so your duridea stops working and but I didn't know it. So I had, um, you, you fall into depression or you gain weight or like for everyone, it's different for me. It was a depression and it's being in a depression is like the hardest thing. Um, and getting out is super hard. And I think it was just this fear in the voice of, um, of this friend, um, of losing me that got me back that like making him um, being so afraid I really felt, felt sorry and I felt sorry that I put him into this situation and then I was out 
I'm, I'm curious, was your, is your friend a vet as well or what is he? No, no. He's not a vet. Okay. <laughs> I was, was going to say, did, I was going to ask whether, whether your change, cause you said he was going through a, through a tough time as well. Um, I'm curious whether your change, um, as, as had a change on him, like, as has, <laughs> has, has it helped to see you do better? Has that helped him to do better? Um, he's about to change his job. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> no, he didn't, um, change, but he just like, I knew that he was also going through a tough time still is. Um, but now he did make the decision like last week that he will change. Awesome, Mike. I really appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. And um, allowing us to continue the question. But let's change some other things up. If you would go okay. for broke. All right. Should we, should we talk about travel? Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> you are you are the traveling vet. Um, and I've been going through your photos. Um, you've certainly you've certainly earned that name of the traveling vet. You have traveled a hell of a lot. Um, how did it begin? How uh, at what stage in your career or in your life did the, did the travel bug really bite? So I always traveled with my family. My dad travels a lot. Um, and I traveled um, when I was a child, but never that much that I travel now. I was never so um, addicted to traveling. Mm -hmm. And I was playing handball in first league for many years. And so I never had time to travel because I was always like being at school or being at university. And when I came home, I was playing handball. And then I ruptured um, my ligamentum crucio. So I couldn't play handball for half a year. And I was like, oh my God, what I'm doing. And so I went to Washington State for one month okay. um, to do an externship. And this was the moment where I got addicted and then every time I was, I had holidays and money, I was traveling. Okay. So from your, from your student days, you, that, that yes, started. it started, uh, 2011. Although you said earlier that you, you always idolized Jane Goodall and, and the stuff yes. she's like, so it probably started way before that. It probably started, yeah, true. started when you were a kid, the, the bug was there. You just had to get, get the opportunity. Exactly. And then in the same year, like it was February 2011 that I um, went to Washington State. And then the same summer, I went to Africa for the first time for seven weeks. Okay. Wow. How was that? Amazing. It was still too, like, there were so funny things. We were um, in Botswana uh, one night looking for lions. And then we finally found lion, like we found one lion. Um, lying there in the bush and then we heard cracking in like in the dark and so the um guy who was driving the car it was an open car like it had no windows no roof it was just everything open and he moved the car and the light and then we saw in the bush like 10 meters away um another lion eating something i think it was a pig or something uh, so the first line was waiting for the second to finish and leave food for him. And one girl got really scared, uh, wanted to back off, like wanted to go a little bit more away from this lion. And 
So the guy started the car and it was like, ding, 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 boom. And it was pitch black. Oh. And you could just hear the cracking of the bones. <laughs> and I was like, this is how I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, well. And of course, I was sitting outside and my best friend was sitting inside. And I was like, yeah, he will get me first. <laughs> <laughs> and then the guy tried to start the car again. And it like always went like, boom, boom. And we had no light because the car didn't work. And yeah, it was super scary. And then after a few minutes, it worked again. And the lions were still on the same spot. <laughs> they didn't, hadn't moved at all. Wow. <laughs> that would be creepy. It was creepy. It's, uh, <laughs> nothing, fun. There's nothing that makes you, that takes you back to, to ancient days of evolution than, than being <laughs> in the African bush in an exposed situation where you suddenly realize, ah, oh, I, I could be food. It's a, <laughs> yeah. make, makes, you, makes you realize where you belong on the food chain. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of all the places you've been, right. Where would have had like, I don't know, the, the biggest impact for you, like the biggest kind of moment of aha or something. Mm, boo. Hmm. The thing is, I never, um, I never read travel guides or anything before I go somewhere because I don't want to be disappointed. So it's always like, wow, um, when I come into a new country, mm -hmm. and um, Africa is always wow, like in a good and a bad way. Mm. And I have to say, like after two weeks, it's always time for me to go back home because it's really tough to see how people and animals live and how people treat animals and treat other people and the environment. And um, yeah, I think these third world countries are always the toughest for me. Um, yeah, just to see how much there still is that should be changed and how much there is we could change and people should do, but people just don't care. Yeah, that's the hardest thing. What I love about what I love about how you travel or certainly what I what I see on your on your photos is that unlike a lot of travelers, tourists, you you seem to see it and then you try and do something about it. Or where you can. Um, it looks like your trips are not just, oh, look at that. Let's take some cool selfies and let's go back home and, <laughs> and do nothing about it. You, you had a quote, actually, I'm gonna, I wrote it down somewhere that I really liked. Uh, sometimes you need to, sometimes you need to change the easy for the, for the right. Um, yeah. Which is not easy. That's, uh, that's which is actually a quote from Harry Potter, like kind of like oh, Dumbledore really? said. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the thing that he said, there comes a time where we have to decide um, if we, uh, where we have to do the right instead of the, oh, wait, now I don't know how it works. There comes a time where you have to decide if you want to do the right or the easy. Yeah, something yeah. like this. Yeah. Um, are there, are there bit, sorry, G, you go. Oh, sorry. I just was going to share a similar experience that I had. Um, I love trekking and I love walking through nature and things and 
um, one of the most humbling experiences I've ever had, well, one was actually standing next to a lion. You just, it, it totally, you just feel like a piece of meat, right? You just feel totally, like, totally unequipped mm. to deal with a lion, right? right. And um, this was actually recently when I was in Dubai. It was um, one of the, the sheik's lions that um, they housed because it was uncared for properly by the, the previous kind of... So what happens is a lot of the, the sheiks, they have these big cats and wildlife, but it's actually all rescued. And the perception is that actually um, they buy these pets and, you know, and, and cut their teeth out and claws and whatever and stuff. But quite often the sheiks will actually like capture and intercept pets um, like wildlife that are shipped to these countries as pets. And then they take on responsibility of like, they can't release them back in the wild. So they take on responsibility because they just have the funds. And, and standing next to one of these lions, like full grown black mane lion was just like, scary as hell. So that was the first one. Anyway, that, that Where was, was that? in Dubai. In, in Dubai. Dubai. Mm. Um, but the, the experience I was going to share was, um, was when I trekked to Everest Base Camp. And um, as I walked, it was the second time I went to Nepal and it was a third world country, right? And just like there was like the care for the, the pets, like they, they do take care of their pets, but you know, like there's street dogs and so forth. And um, when I was walking through the villages, you can see kind of how hard life is. And it was really good in terms of perspective. Mm. And so when I did the Annapurna circuit the first time, that was you know eye opening. The second time I went back, I did Everest Base Camp. And when I was at the Everest Base Camp, we watched the sunrise over Everest. And it was in that moment, there was this most humbling experience of just feeling small and insignificant that I felt like as if something needed to change. And like, that whole experience there is that started the whole process. We raised funds and we built a school in Nepal. And that was my contribution back from that experience. Like that kind of those experiences can change people like your experience in Africa. I'd seen how hard it is for people and how, you know, how they treat animals, which is sounds like as if it's fueling some of the things and the messages that you're trying to put out there. Yeah. Um, so where did you travel in Nepal? You went to Nepal? Mm. Yeah, I went to Nepal and, um, Nepal. did two treks in Nepal. So really beautiful people, but just, just hard life, a hard life. Yeah. But I think this, like I have been there and they're different than people in Africa, like to to European or Australian people, they are like very open and welcome, mm -hmm. which sometimes in Tanzania, I have the feeling that I'm not welcome or um, that, yeah, I think it's always different if you travel or if you go there for work, like if you go there for work, they always kind of have the feeling that you want to change something that they don't want to change because they have done it for ever mm -hmm. why should they change it yeah. and um so it's very interesting um if you work with people there and um like when when i travel 
alone, it's always hard to get to people. Um, but, and I've worked in Tanzania with Mavo. It's called Meru Animal Welfare Organization. And the guy who founded it, he is really good because he says that you can't just go there and tell them how to do it. Um, you have to show them another way and if they want they can accept it and change things and see that if they do like this the donkey will like live five years longer and it's really hard to change something by not making obvious that you want to change something that yeah. they have done like this forever sounds yeah. like change management 101 like changing clinical standards in a hospital where you feel like you can make a difference, but it's been done one way the whole entire time. So you learned that the hard way. Like I cannot imagine how difficult that must be for a, for a culture like that. Well, we, yeah, we, I've just, it's a similar experience. I've just come back recently from a, from a trip to Lombok where we um, worked with uh, street dogs to try and sterilize street dogs. Um, and there, were, there was actually quite interesting. We did two separate areas of work um, in the in the little town in Lombok, in, in the main tourist town. There's a well-established little charity that's been working there for a while, and and the locals around them understand what they're doing and are really supportive. So our first few days, we went with um, hung around with them and worked with them, and it was easy because the locals would show you around and say well there's a dog come and come and get this one or they, they're really helpful um, and then from there we went to a different area um where just on our own me and a couple of friends to go and try and do the same thing there um in a, in a small little village at a, at a holiday holiday resort but right next to it is a, is a little village and the owner of the resort said you're going to have to talk to the villagers because they might not like it they might not they like their dogs and they they completely different to how we like dogs there's no come sit on my lap or let me feed you there's no affection as such but there's a very much a an ancient relationship of you hang around me and there's always going to be some food but then you you know you chase the monkeys away from our crops and you um so very much they, they like having them there uh, and we same thing we, we learned very very quickly we even went to talk to the chief of the village and asked him about it and he was very supportive he said yes totally um, but like in all all change situations, the leader didn't go and talk to all the villagers and explain to them. So we went into the to the village with our dart, with our blow dart, to try and dart dogs, um, and they thought we were killing the dogs. So within within half an hour, they said get out. Oh, get out very quickly, yeah. Um, that was us. Oh, no. We were done for the day. We couldn't touch another dog um, wow. until the chief went back that night and had a big meeting with everybody and explained that we're not killing them. And they actually saw a few dogs waking up from the, from the anesthetic because they, they crowd around us. Good. Again, it's obviously just dart. So we dart the dogs, do the surgery, and then you put them down in a shady spot and wait for them to wake up. And you'd see all the villagers come and stand around and stare at the dog going, why have you killed our dog? And then after a while they start moving and they go, Oh, no, he's not dead. Yay. <laughs> so absolutely. Oh, no. uh, you want to change, you want to change everything and you want to just fix everybody's problem and tell them how to do it. But it's, it's not always that simple, but it's a fantastic experience. Yeah. Do you, um, why do you do it? What, what's your, mm -hmm. what drives you to get involved in these things, Alga? 
Because I think I'm very lucky to be born in Europe or in especially Austria. And um, I like, there's so many people and especially, and animals uh, around the world who are not lucky for no one knows which reason. And I think that life should be good for everyone. And we, I don't believe in religions, um, but I believe that the one life that we have at the moment should be worth living for everyone. And that's what I'm trying to do. Awesome. How, 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 do, you, how do you stop from feeling overwhelmed? Because once you start looking and once you start seeing all the problems, that it can be really overwhelming to to see the extent of the problems and the extent of the imbalances um, to the point where where sometimes it's tempted, tempting to go, well, you know, I can't I can't fix it, so I'm just going to give up. Um, yeah, I think you always have to live for the moment and remember what you can change and which lives you can change. Also, if you can't of course have in everyone and um of course it's very sad most of the time and i had this experience in tanzania where we found puppies in a bush mm -hmm. and they were full of mango worms and i didn't speak for the next three hours because i was so angry with the whole world and with these people and with the situation that we have this but you just have to think of the good things and get away because you can't change it like you can't change every sadness in the world yeah but you can change the way that you feel essentially what you did there really isn't it you know you can only control the way that you feel in that particular situation and and that being, you know, remind yourself of the good that is still out there. Exactly. Mango mm. worms. Do, do we get mango worms in Australia? I don't think we do. No, but there's some amazing videos. If, if no one's seen the video on the Travelling Vets Instagram, where clean these, I don't mean, oh God, it just looks, it just looks so bad. Um, it's but, really bad. If it's, um, it's just going to gross everybody else if I say I've had mango worm. <laughs> I grew up in, I grew up in Africa. I've had mango worm. <laughs> no way. Oh, my God. I mean, it's, it's as sad as satisfying to get this I was, mango worm. I was about house. to say, I was, it's extremely <laughs> satisfying. <laughs> it is. We, it is almost we, as good as opening an abscess. <laughs> I think it's better. <laughs> I, I, I did see that video, I think, because they, they, we, we, we treat a lot of mango worm in, in dogs in, in South Africa. And it's not, it's not actually a dangerous condition by itself in a healthy dog. Uh, yeah exactly so if we do pet dogs with you know 10 10 worms and it's just so satisfying to pop those little bastards <laughs> no. it is it really is yeah well sometimes you have to choose sometimes you have to choose the right over the easy yeah how did you get it how did we get them out no how, no, how did, did i get it, it? Um, <laughs> it's they lay <laughs> eggs and they lay eggs, <laughs> they lay eggs in the washing on the on the wash line the flies and then you wear your clothes and then they they hatch and bug 
drill into where, you. Where was it, mate? Um, I I think I had my my mom said I had it when I was very little, um, so that was on my ass. <laughs> because <laughs> they lay they because these are the days of of non-disposable nappies so my nappies were on the line and then they got, I, I can't believe i'm telling the whole world that i had worms in my... <laughs> where worms in your way yeah yeah where uh, most people have worms who have worms <laughs> no, no. <laughs> okay let's change the topic <laughs> No, that's you feel a bit worms in your ass. You better have worms in his ass. Let's reframe it on my gluteus, on, on my gluteus maximus, not in my, not in my <laughs> a hole, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know is worse. I don't... <laughs> <laughs> All right, new topic, Gerardo. Ask a question, please. <laughs> But oh. now I know why we always had to dry this clothes in the sun before wearing it. Because mm-hmm. you don't want mango worm. Yeah, exactly. I was going to ask a question, but you brought it straight back to mango worms, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, so what's next? What's next? Like, um, um, actually, your, your post on Instagram is maybe really obvious for, for women, but for, for me as a guy, when you post a, a, a Instagram photo like that, it's kind of like, it's obvious, but I don't know whether or not I should say congratulations unless I don't know. Yes. Kind of, you know like, <laughs> so I'm, I'm always in that kind of like, as a, as a, as a director in, uh, of a hospital with a hundred and, you know, 140 people, it's like, should I say something? I don't know. I'm just kind of saying. <laughs> the, the answer is always no, Gerardo, don't. As a guy, you can't say something, right? right. So I'm assuming that you're pregnant. That's, that's, that's <laughs> yes. please, please. I am. <laughs> you're I am pregnant. <laughs> Thank you. But this is always, like, that's also a thing that happens to women, that we see a woman and we don't know if she's pregnant or if she just has a belly and you're like, shall I say congratulations or better not or I don't know so it's not only happening to you don't be afraid <laughs> the, the first definitive piece of evidence for me is when they go I, I can't really help you with x-rays right now Gerardo. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm like, like I don't know what I'm talking about you know like you four wrists okay that's what you got <laughs> I mean, as a vet, you mostly like you. There are many times where you know it before anyone else knows it because you want to x ray the horse, and the owner's like, Oh, but I can't visit the x ray. And then, and, oh, okay. But don't tell anyone in the stable because no one knows. And, oh, okay. <laughs> no, like in Germany, you have to tell it the first day. Like when you know it, you have to stop working. So you have to tell everyone. Wow. That's so no one's have this situation where they're, is she pregnant or just getting a belly? <laughs> <laughs> you know, just drank a lot of beer after Oktoberfest. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It was super funny when I told my boss, because I was like, like in Germany, we say for um, pregnancy examination in horses, we say Trächtigkeitsuntersuchung. Uh, so we call it TU, mm-hmm. TU. Mm-hmm. Um, and we always have, like, in season, we have every day a few TUs uh, to do. 
So I said, I had TU19 today. And he looked at me and he was like, like you? Like you had TU19? And I was like, yes. And he was like, and, and? <laughs> and I, yeah, positive. <laughs> and he was like, so excited. He was, oh my God. And then the next sentence, he was like, you have to stop working. <laughs> yes. I was okay. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> But he was so excited. <laughs> like, shit, I'm going to replace you. You know, you're one of my key vets, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I told him one year before that we are planning it after the mm. wedding, uh, six months after Haiti, because if you travel to a Zika country, you uh, shouldn't get pregnant the next six months. To what country? To a country with Zika. Oh, Zika and the virus. Yeah, exactly. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we planned this trip uh, in to Jamaica in February, and after Jamaica, I went to Haiti. Uh, so we had to wait six months, and yeah. So I told him like one year ago, we are getting married in May, and we are traveling in February, but like in August, we want to try. But I think he hoped that it wouldn't work. <laughs> he was like, so the anti-baby pill didn't work that I put into your coffee. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where does that leave the travel plans? Are they, uh, are they on hold for a little bit? No, like I think now I finally have time to travel. Oh yeah. It's uh -huh. becoming a traveling baby. Good. It's a good start. And where's next? Um, like next is probably now just home. And the baby arrives in April. And after this, I will do, I want to do all the countries in Europe that are still missing. Not and what? there is like mm -hmm. Romania, mm -hmm. uh, not Romania. Um, uh, what's the name? Bulgaria. Mm -hmm. They have a bear yeah. center there where they help bears. Bears. Mm -hmm. bears. Yeah. Bears. Yeah. Bears. Yes. And the thing is that in this country, like Bulgaria, they still have a lot of dancing bears and restaurant bears. This mm. means that they have a bear in front of a restaurant so people would visit the restaurant. Um, so they rescue a lot of them and have like parks where they can live, uh, have a happy life. It's also wow. before post the organization I went to Romania. And I would love to visit it, uh, show people what happens to the money they give to Four Paws and see how to help these bears. And I would love to do castration projects in South Europe, where they still have so many stray dogs and cats. Um, yeah, maybe with some small animal vets, get some together. And yeah. And I was going to say, have you done work before? Um, similar work on dogs and just dogs specifically? Yes. Uh, where I, did you work? In Bosnia. That's where I got my dog. Oh, really? Which is chilling on the couch. Yeah. So I went to Bosnia uh, four years ago. And a friend of mine was like doing a castration project there with street dogs. And a friend of mine asked me, so will you bring a dog home when you go there? And I was like, are you crazy? I'm yeah. not taking a dog home. <laughs> well, uh, it ended up with Anna. <laughs> Your friend knows you well. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, purely, purely out of practical reasons, when you when you did that work with the dogs there, how how did you catch the dogs or how did you sedate them? Or they, how wild were the dogs is, is the question. So they were living on a um, trash dump mm-hmm. and they were f- uh, fed by the locals. Mm-hmm. Like they all brought, like they brought all of the stray dogs from the city to this trash dump in the uh, in the woods. So some of them, like Anna, who loves food, um, <laughs> were easy to catch, and the other, like you can't catch all of them, um, like with most street dogs, mm. which is a reason why um, killing street dogs never makes or taking street dogs away never makes sense because you never catch all of them yeah and then the pool is empty and just um fools up super fast um so we caught a lot of them with food Mm -hmm. and the rest of them with slings um yeah so putting putting sedatives in the food and then to drag, drag them. No, just catch them while oh, they were okay. eating with the oh, sling. Okay. Or okay. yeah. All right. No, the the ones in the ones I'm asking because um in Lombok, they are extremely people nervous, and you can't get closer than about three yeah. meters to them. You can't you can't physically catch them. So we had and you had a a blowdown gun. Yeah, a blowdown. A blowdown gun. Yeah. So you have to you have to be able to get two to three meters away to be able to get mm-hmm. a, good, a good shot but then as soon as they see that you're walking around as soon as they see you looking at them they they're gone <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm asking because yeah. i'm because i'm looking for better ways to make it more efficient next time <laughs> yeah i see, like i was hearing that you doubted them and i was like that's a good idea <laughs> it's it's a hell of a lot of fun but it's not very time efficient <laughs> yeah i think <laughs> feeding them is pretty good yeah like always at the same place so they would come and then it's you get closer to them and then you can catch them I with a sling that's going to be the plan next time i want to drag them in their food that's uh, that's the plan <laughs> yeah that yeah like with foals yeah exactly. we do this with foals back home oh really mm-hmm. gerardo what are you signaling because we keep on asking, we keep on wanting to ask a question at the same time. Oh, sorry, mate. Okay. I know I got a question. And okay, it's better than your question. Yeah. You ready? Okay. You, I'll ask my question first, and then Schubert can ask this question. You can decide which one to ask. Okay. I don't Mine know. Is, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, my, okay. My question is: You've been around the world, right? And you've allied yourself, and you've kind of, you know, done work with organizations and things like that how does someone who wanted to do that do that how, do, how, how does something like what do you do do you just email and go hey my name's Olga I'm a veterinarian from Germany I exactly. do horses but you know what I will come and help you take care of dogs like you know how did you reach out to them um mostly like this <laughs> so <laughs> um <laughs> at the beginning like when I was a student there were I did projects for students where they show you how you do it and then you can learn how to do it. And um, there were projects from the university with vets um, and students and you could help and learn something, which was really nice also in Africa. 
And then now as a vet, I just, like in Tanzania, I text them. When I first texted them, I was like, yeah, I can help you if you want. I I could come and help you and um, treat the donkeys because I have no idea about dog medicine, <laughs> but I can treat the donkeys. And um, then in Romania, I could treat the horses. And in in other countries, either I go with a vet and then like I do the first castrations with them and then I do it on my own. Or I just go there and play more like an influencer. So I say, hi, um, I have 500 euros. So let's buy medication, uh, show people what we do. And I work with you like under your guidance. And um, people who know small animal medicine can go there and help. It's more of an influencer thing. Um, may, when I do small animal medicine, so you go. So, so is that your? You utilize your social media and the audience that you have, and to go. Hey, this is my audience. I'd love to share your message and what you guys do. Yeah, how can you yeah, help me out? Yes, here? and also like everything. Like I earn money with traveling with corporations I do on Instagram, and also with donate a postcard, and this money is just used for medications which i use if i donate to uh, organizations to work with so like in tanzania i went there and said so we have one and a half thousand dollars um let's buy rabies vaccination and vaccinate some dogs because i can vaccinate a dog i just can't do anything else but i can vaccinate it so we did vex buy vaccinations for rabies for more than four thousand dogs Wow, four thousand. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. So, yeah, like I have my job and my money that I own with my job, and then I have traveling vet, and all of the money of traveling vet is used for good stuff because it's like extra money that I don't feel like I deserve because it's not really work for me doing traveling vet. And I don't need because I have my money from my job. So I thought, why not do something good with it? My next question, right, which I think you just answered, was <laughs> why do you do Instagram? Like you're 83,500 followers. And, <laughs> and you know, what's, your, what's, your, what's your message there? Is, do you have a message or, or is, it, is it a tool? I'm um, not saying... I'm not saying a tool in a bad way. No, tool is, is maybe a good word. Um, like when I started it, I was just like, um, I didn't like Instagram for a long time. And then I started it and I thought like, it's pretty, I have so many travel pictures. Why not just show them? And um, then I, I shared a picture of dehorning rhinos in Africa and Vets Novity shared my picture, I if you know the profile. Yeah, and, yeah. and then um, I got like a lot of followers overnight just by, because he sh uh, shared my picture. And then I like that started this idea of 
traveling, like calling me traveling vet. And then it really became bigger and bigger. And then I was sitting with a friend talking about making money with Instagram. It was before I had my first corporations and everything. And I was like, how can you make money with Instagram? And he was like, hey, you're always traveling. You could send postcards. So like you can send a postcard and people who want a postcard can give you money. So I started this and when it started to work, I was like, I don't need any money. That, like, of course, everyone needs money. But um, you, if you, I mean, I'm European, Austrian who never had to care about food or where to live or go to school. So it's just an extra that I don't really need. And so I decided to to use donate a postcard and traveling that money just for this stuff. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> a lot of people have Instagram profiles, right? And you know, they don't have a message behind it. You know, it's just there. Then they kind of share stuff, but there's like the impact, you know, like they you know they don't have the mission and yeah. the impact that you and because now where it's growing and um, um, people start to know traveling that I really enjoy that I can teach people things that I know since years and never thought that people don't know it. Like where eggs come from, where milks come from, why people be vegan, why people should um, treat the planet a little bit nicer. Um, how people in other countries live and that it's a big and huge privilege to go to school, to don't care how to get your dinner and go to a doctor, like everything like this. And it's nice to show people that um, like it's, there's a lot of different um, perspectives in this world. Yeah, and teach them a little bit. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. great. See, this is why this is why I love doing the podcast, Gerardo. <laughs> <laughs> just, 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 hey, you just love doing because you get to talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I just love it. It's just, just um, every time, just meet people. You go, oh man, it's so so nice to know that there's people out there who care and uh, and it can make. <laughs> there's been so many moments through this podcast where I'm just like, wow. Yeah. Wow, 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 wow. Yeah, exactly. There's a word that went through my head the most tonight was wow, 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 wow. I see it's like 12.30 in the morning now, so this morning is 12. Um, but the question was was like, the question I was going to ask is, you know, what is what about Instagram and what it is for you? And, you know, you just kind of answered that question for me. And that was, that's like incredible. That's beautiful. And, and isn't like, there's no ego there. There's no... I'm doing this because I want to see how many followers I get, you know. There's, there's... I think this is always a part of it if you start social media. Like everyone is a little narcissist if they live on social media or if they share yeah. things on social media. But I think if you have the privilege that your account works and that people follow you and you get likes and get corporations, the least you can do is do something useful with it yes that's it right you started because of something 
you know, that's personal for you, something you want to yeah. share, right? And then it grows because you get engagement and then you feel like you have a social responsibility. Exactly. You have a responsibility to the people who look at your stuff, to the people out there. And a lot of people don't realise that. And it's powerful that, you know, that's that you shared with that, that with us. So thank you so much. I'm just, I'm I'm just stunned by the attitude of, all right, now I'm making money with this thing, but I don't need money. (laughs) You just don't hear people say that I don't need money. So let's use it for something good. That's, um, I've got, I've got, I've got to think a little bit about my own life. (laughs) (laughs) You went to Thailand, right? And then you had an impact on like 60 dogs. But yes. That's actually pretty cool. I haven't been to Lombok. Oh, next time will you come? <laughs> yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'd love to. All right, awesome. I'll get in touch. You have to show me again how to do dogs. But... Yes, it's easy peasy. <laughs> I think it's not so much different from castrating a horse. No, exactly. They're way easier. Much, much easier. I uh, said so spay might be a little bit different from castrating a horse, maybe. Yeah, a little okay. bit. Yeah. <laughs> you always have to ask yourself, like if i wouldn't have instagram i would still be happy with the money i have so it's just extra money so i wouldn't be more happy to have more money i'm happy already so i don't need more money you're wise you are wise beyond your years You were with the one question. Yes. Well, first of all, a quick, quick, short question. I when you um, when you're traveling, do you take books? Do you take audio books? How do you how do you entertain yourself when you when you're moving around the globe, Helga? I love reading. Proper books, or audio books, or digital. L- no, probably. I love proper books. I always okay. have proper books, like John Grisham. Okay. And um. Once I read them, I leave them and for someone else. And I also have just books from book shelters. And like I'm an anti-material person. Mm -hmm. So that's the same with books. I read them and after this, I give them to someone else. Now I'm going to have to ask you, I should have prepared you for this, but can you give us a couple of books that we need to read? Anything you've read recently that, that stands out? Like Paulo Coelho is always amazing to read. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a nice quote I used at my wedding saying that freedom is not the absence of responsibilities. It's choosing which re- re- responsibility, what's the word? Yes, responsibilities you, <laughs> you take. Okay. Say, so say freedom is... So freedom is not the absence of responsibilities, but the freedom is to choose which you responsibilities you want to take and which ones you don't want to take. That's freedom. Fantastic. I love that. And um, yeah, I love John Grisham because I love this kind of books. And have you read uh, Kite Runner? I have, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Great. What's the name of the author? Khaled Husseini. Khaled yeah. Husseini. Yeah. He is yes. amazing. Um, uh, yeah. I think Paolo Coelho and he, they write the best books. Yeah. About people and about living. Yeah. Which is your favorite Paolo book? Have you got a favorite of his? I'll, um, I really love the Sahir. It's the one where you have this quote from the okay. responsibility and freedom quote. Yep. Okay. I don't think I've read that one. That'll be on the list. <laughs> and then the last question we normally wrap up with, um, you are at a conference and you're talking to the world's newly graduated vets. All the, all the new vets in the world are listening to you and you've got a couple of minutes to give them one message. What do you tell them? What would you, what do you want to say to the, to the new graduate vets of the world? Always remember why you started it. Like always remember why you're doing this job. Because for me, it's because I want to help animals and want to help um, suffering animals. And no matter how hard it is, the result mostly will pay you back fantastic love it makes sense i don't know if it ah, i love like how you, i love translating how you it sometimes i love how you you didn't even hesitate about that you had it you had it right there <laughs> that, that's a, why that, really remember your why all right should we wrap it up there Jamie, that was thank you so much Helga. i love that i'd love to thank you it was so much fun and um i will see you in lombok i am i'll start yeah I'll so when the baby's due in april um do you want to bring your baby with you or do you leave it with the, do you leave it with the family we, we, well, we, <laughs> we, we will see we, we took ours we, we've got a, a we took our one-year-old baby with us to lombok really but it needs vaccination doesn't it mm. I don't know if it does, but we didn't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I will think about this. I, I want to visit Chloe in Australia. So I will be in Australia. You both in Australia. Yep. What about you? When are you coming to Australia? Hopefully next winter. Like for you next summer. Yeah, I would love to go there. Maybe when the baby is half a year old. So November 2020. And then we can go to, how far oh, is it to Lombok? Very easy. So from, from Perth, it's about a three-hour flight. So very, okay. very easy. I hate flying, but <laughs> we will do. <laughs> what? You call the traveling, the traveling vet, but you hate flying. That's a, yeah. that's a tricky, tricky um, little situation. We might include that in the podcast. I don't know. Like traveling vet that doesn't want to fly. Yeah, I'm afraid of flying. It's really bad. That's the reason I drove down to Malta. And I'm driving back to Austria. How three days. Three days. Yes. Oh, and the flight is like two hours, but I'm, I'm so scared of flying. So I never fly if it's possible. Maybe I drive to Australia. Let's see. I have enough time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Really, there's a couple of big oceans in the way. I don't know. But I mean, I know people who went there with their motorcycles, so you can go there per ship. Yeah, you can get to. Um, you can get all. all you can get all all over Indonesia with um, my <laughs> motorbike, uh, motorbike and ferry. Yeah. It's a really good way to travel. Uh, but and you can go to Indonesia per car. One can, but I won't. I'll fly. 
Okay, thank you so much. Um, thank you for your time. And if you haven't checked out the Traveling Vets Instagram, then you please do because there is so many awesome posts in there, and her and her message is always so honest and positive. It's there are so many Instagrammers out there who share stuff that's drama and the bad things about you know our clients and the pets that we treat. But, Helga's messages are always positive and I think that she's a real contributor towards our professional Instagram. So thank you very much. Please check it out. And also check out her um, donate a postcard. Is that right? Yes. Yep. And the link is in her bio. So support that as well. Thank you very much, team. Thank you. See ya. I'm gonna mute you. Gonna get it's just you. a sec. I muted you. Okay, you're muted.